Do you or someone you love need to know more about salvation? Go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. We've been called to be warriors. There are so many people that are being held hostage today. You you just don't know. There are people that are sick. There are people that are fearful. There are people that they won't come out of their houses. There are people that, that they're broken. I don't care where you go or what you're doing. If you're around people, you're around people that are broken and hurting and they need a champion. You can't be their champion, but you can flat introduce them to the champion. Do you ever have those days when you just can't seem to get going? When you don't even want to get out of bed? Fortunately for most of us, these experiences are few and far between. But for other people, this is a way of life. For them, they have lost hope. Hope is an expectation that is planted within us, that what we've seen we will see in even greater measure, that what we've been told will come to pass, and we have no doubt about it. But for those that have eyes focused only on the tragedies, they will always live with tragedy. People in this state of mind need help in knowing Jesus in a greater measure and a greater way. That's the focus of today's message from Pastor Eddie Mason, a continuation of his series entitled, Warrior or Wallflower. I want to talk to you about the power of being a warrior. We've been called to be warriors. There are so many people that are being held hostage today. They need a savior. They need somebody to to come in and give them hope. We were talking Friday night in Bible study, and I got to talking about my, my grandson, one of my grandsons, and, and the fact that the Lord had given me several, several things to go back on where God had given me promises through prophetic words. Anybody ever have any promises through prophetic words? And so what the Lord told me to do was not look at where he is right this minute, but to look at what I saw when the Lord spoke to me over him and when the Lord actually spoke to him. And he said, hold on to what you saw. All right. And so even with even with let me just tell you that even with Lauren, I look at Lauren and and uh, Johnny was talking about her this morning. And and when I look at Lauren, I see the prophetic words that she spoke. And so I'm not going to see her in the condition she is now in. I'm going to see in the condition she was in and I'm going to see her in the condition she will be in. Amen. She prophesied when she was a young girl. She'll prophesy when she's an older girl. Amen. God will do those things. Now, I'm not just calling out by name, but that just happened to be one that the Lord told me about. And so I want you to grab hold of this idea. You can either see from a natural perspective or you can see from the position where you've been seated. And God said you've been seated with Him in heavenly places. And if you're looking from heaven down to here, guess what? Then you know that time really doesn't have any power over you. You're an eternal being. And God says in the blink of an eye, the things that are today will be changed tomorrow. Amen? If you don't like change, then you probably don't like God because God doesn't change, but He sure does change things around you. And He changes them very quickly. The suddenlies of God. You see, these people that are all around us and they're hurting and, and they don't know that. The thing that that does for me is it gives me hope. And I I said this Friday night, hope is not just wishing something would happen. Too many Christians grovel at the cross and say, God, will you please do something? God said, I've already done something. 
I've sent my son, I've sent my word, and I've testified to you. Why don't you take hold of my testimony? Why don't you take hold of my word and use my word for what it's supposed to be used for? Why don't you stand in the strength and the power of the word that I've already given you and declare the victory since we've already declared victory? Why don't you begin to declare victory rather than what you've been confessing out of your mouth, which is defeat? Aren't you glad you came this morning? You see, we, got, we have hope. What is hope? Hope is, is what's an expectation that's planted within me that what I have seen, I will see in even greater measure. What I've been told will come to pass. I have no doubt in my heart that it will come to pass. If I want to live with my eyes focused on the tragedy, then guess what? All I'm going to see is tragedy. I, I love to play golf, and there was a golfer, an older golfer named Chichi Rodriguez. Anybody ever hear of Chichi Rodriguez? He was a comedian on the golf course. He'd, he'd, make a, he'd, he'd make a putt and he'd take his putter and he'd turn it around and he'd do like a Z over the top of the hole. And, and he, he just it really was an entertainer. He, he loved to entertain. And he said, you know, he said, the difference between me and most golfers, he said, when I stand up on the first tee, he says, all, he said, see, most people stand up on the first tee. All they do, they see that lake that's in front of them where that ball can go. They see that sand trap on the right where that ball can go. They see the trees on the left where that ball can go. They see the, they see the wind blowing, which will blow the, wall, the, the ball off track. He said, when I stand up there, he said, all I see is fairway. What are you looking at? See, the enemy wants to plant all this stuff in front of you so that he can divert your eyes from his way, from God's way, to what the enemy wants to do. And those are all traps of the enemy designed to get you away from God. I'm making any sense to you this morning? I want you to grab hold of this idea that you're going to have to have a warrior mentality in order to do what needs to be done. All these people that are hurting, they don't have hope. They say they know Jesus and they don't have hope. They don't know the same Jesus I know. And so they need help coming to know him in a greater measure and in a greater way. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're that help. And then put your hand right here and say, I'm that help. Amen. What did, I, what, did I, what did Isaiah say? God send me. God send me. That's where we've got to come to is this attitude, an idea. God send me. Use me. Most of us don't want to get involved. We've got a complicated life and, and, and things that are happening or things that we want to do. And, and when things start getting complicated and the, the self-desires get in the way, guess who gets shoved to the side? Everybody else except me. Why? Well, because I know, I, know, I know how hard I work. I know what I do. I know how, what I've been doing. And, and people are just, they just want to rob you. And God said, I don't want to rob you. I want to bless you. I want to pour out blessings on you. But you're going to have to quit looking at self, and you're going to have to start looking at other things. You're going to have to grab hold of the fact that there are people that are hurting. There are people who won't pray. People won't enter into intercession. Why? Well, that's just not fun. Well, who are you talking to? I, I find that most people that don't like to pray, they don't understand the presence of Jesus. Jesus talks about joyful prayer. How many of you have ever experienced joyful prayer? 
Well, it's a time when we get in there, and man, it's just fun. You just like being with Jesus. When the presence of the Lord is there, it is fun. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it's like plowing. But that doesn't make any difference. The idea is, God, we're going to break through. We're going to stay and we're going to break through. And we're, we're going to see what your word is said. I'm going to stay until I understand in my spirit what I know in my head to be true. And once I've got it in my spirit, then I have victory. I can say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. But until I can receive that in my spirit, I can say that all I want to and it will never come to pass. And so I've got to spend time with you transferring from my head to my heart the things that you have told me and I've got to grab hold of those things. And some of those things I've grabbed hold of, you couldn't shake me. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. You can't shake me. Other things I don't have so firmly planted. And so my time in prayer, as I begin even to pray for other people, while I'm praying to other people, God is speaking into my life and speaking things over me. And I'm not the only one. He's no respecter of persons. You don't have to be praying for yourself for God to be speaking into your life, for the Holy Spirit to be operating in your life. Uh, some of you know Mahesh Shavda. Mahesh Shavda opened up a church in, uh, in Stockbridge for a while. I don't know whether he still has it or not. But when I first met Mahesh, he was in North Carolina, and he was doing a tremendous amount of mission work. And he had a young son that was in trouble sickness-wise, and uh, he had a, a ministry mit, uh, trip to Africa, and the Lord had told him what to do. He'd been on a 40-day fast before he got ready to go there. God had shown him many, many things that were going to take place in Africa. And on his way to the airport, he got a telephone call. And the telephone call was, you need to turn around and come back. Your son may not make it. And he's told, he, he started to turn around, and the Holy Spirit said, if you turn around, your son will not make it. What are you going to do? He said, I'm telling you to go. What would you have done? See, we've not experienced that. Mahesh went ahead, got on the airplane, flew to Africa. And he was, he was on stage. This was three nights later. They brought a dead boy to him. About the same age as his son. He laid hands on the dead boy, commanded life to come back in him, and life came back in him. He got a telephone call as soon as it was over and said at that same exact time, his son was completely healed, released from the hospital, nothing else wrong with him. That young man is about 43 years old today and has never had another health problem. But what if Mahesh had turned around? See, that doesn't happen to you unless you've built this history with God and you've spent time in His presence. I'm just telling you the truth. We need to spend that time with God. We, we need to spend time with God so that we've got something to give away to the people that we're around. You, you walk in power and you walk in authority. You have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ abiding in you. And he's called you into a place to where that you don't just keep that to yourself. You give it away. You give it away. 
Now, I told you today, I've, I've had some rejection lately. I went a long time and never had anybody reject me. And all of a sudden, I've had two or three lately that rejected me. Well, the problem is they're not really rejecting me. They're rejecting the gift of God himself. And I'm going, God, have mercy. God, have mercy on them. They don't even know what they are doing. I'm wanting to release a blessing over them, and they're choosing to continue to operate in the curse. But see, if you, don't have the, if you don't have the right heart and you don't have the right mentality, the first thing that happens to you is you get all into self and all into your feelings and all into your emotions, and you begin to think that you've been rejected, and you can say, I'll never do that again. I did that for several years. I got told off by a lady one time, and when I got told off to her, by her, she was a friend of mine, about 40 minutes she told me off. I hung up the phone, I said, she can go to hell, I ain't witnessing to nobody else. I figured it's me and Jesus. He worked. He got me. He can get the rest of them. I started to go back and be a good Presbyterian. You know, only the elect are going anyway. No, I'm just teasing you. Boy, you talk about feeling rejected. I felt rejected. And so I decided that I wasn't going to be that warrior out on the front line anymore. I was going to be that wallflower, that guy that kind of hung back and didn't do anything. He didn't take any chances. Life without chances is boring. It, it is absolutely boring. And yet Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. He said, I want you to come and go with me. In the Song of Solomon, he said, come, let's, let's run over the mountains. Let's skip through the valleys. Let's go do some things together. I'm saying, let's do some things together. Let's witness to a few people. Let's lay hands on a few people. Let's do some things together. Let's bring hope where there's hopelessness. Let's see some of the captives set free. Well, will Jesus do that? He'll do it for you immediately. Not tomorrow, not next week. He's just saying, do the stuff. We've been released to go and do the stuff. And so, but what a wallflower does is a wallflower a flower believes in escape and denial. What? Escape and denial. What do you mean escape and denial? It means they, they go and they're going to, they want to hide from things. They just think if, if they don't move that these things will go away. Can I tell you the blight that's on our nation through abortion will not go away unless Christians get vocal about what's happening. If we sit back and let the government decide what's going to be done and let the people that believe in abortion say what's going to be done, then guess what? Abortion will never end in our nation. And the blight and the blood of these children will stay on the hands of this nation for an eternity. And so the, the, the world doesn't care what the world says. The church has to stand up and say, this is wrong. I shared this the other night too. I didn't know I shared my sermon. I just read an article to where that right now, because scientists have realized that, that, birth, that uh, life really does begin at conception. Duh. They, they, they've realized since life begins at conception, then the, and what they have said is the attitudes of the American people are changing. Now, listen to this statistic and you won't believe it. You wouldn't believe this if you listened to the news. You wouldn't believe this if you listened to the government. 78% of Americans no longer believe in abortion on demand. Now that doesn't mean they've, they've turned, turned away from abortion completely, but at least they don't believe in it on demand. 
That's unbelievable, isn't it? You know why? Because some people have had enough courage to stand up and say, this is murder. This is the killing of our children. This is the taking away of, of generation. I was listening to some news commentator and the founding fathers said that they were reading from one of the documents. He said, he said, he said that uh, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the first phrase in that is what? Right to life. I had never seen that before. I was so excited. I thought, hmm, I wonder if they knew this abortion junk was fixing to take over in our nation. It's, it's such a terrible thing. And even what's worse than that are the women and the men who have experienced the, the fruit of abortion. The pain and the hurt and the woundedness and, the, and just the, the, the internalized power of what's taking place. And too many people in the church just want to run and hide. They don't want to minister to them and say, listen, God can set you free. God can forgive you. God can heal you. God can deliver you. God can, God can make you right. He can heal the woundedness that's come from that. You see, God isn't into the condemning of, of men and women that have chosen abortion. He's against the slaughter of our children. He still loves every one of those people that have gone through that. And so we don't want to stand up here and put judgment and condemnation on them. We want to tell them there's a place of deliverance. There's a place of hope. There's a place in Jesus Christ where they can be forgiven and they can walk in the power of that love. And so we see that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I just happen to pick on that one subject, but there are many, many, many things that are happening to people. And they're being destroyed and the wallflowers are just, they've got the answer and they're refusing to share anything. The, the, the word wallflower, uh, I looked it up. It says a wallflower is someone with an introverted personality type who will attend parties and social gatherings, but will usually distance themselves from the crowd and actively avoid being in the limelight. Those are people that want to come to church, sit on the pew, never pray, never get involved, never want to do anything. They want to come to the party, but they don't want to dance. And Jesus said, I want to dance with you. He said, come on, let's dance. He didn't invite you to the party so that you could sit on your blessed assurance. <laughs> what Don Pye used to say, wasn't it? He didn't call you in here to sit down. He called you in here to join the dance. This is a participation activity. The kingdom is alive, and the people in the kingdom are alive. And the people in the kingdom, you, you can't... You, you cannot be happy sitting and doing nothing. And so what most people wind up doing is they design these escape plans and these denial things where they can escape into something else. They can just keep themselves busy with everything that's going on and they can get involved in so many activities and so much stuff that they don't have to think about what's going on around them. And God's saying, that's not what I put you in there for. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you still glad you came this morning? Amen. Better than being in the hospital, I assure you. So we don't want to be that. A warrior, on the other hand, is willing to engage the enemy and become the instrument of change. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you want to be a, wa uh, a warrior or a wallflower? 
Wallflowers hide warriors train. Let me say that again. Wallflowers hide warriors train. How do you train? Listen, when there are people that come up front to be prayed for, part of the training is come out and learn how to pray for somebody. Don't sit down. Get your rear end up and come learn how to do it. And then take what you learn here outside, lay hands on somebody, pray for somebody, and see what God will do. A warrior trains, and then they plan, and they realize that there's a war going on, and they don't want to be caught up in everything that's going on, but they, they, they strategize and they decide that they can be effective, and they can be part of transformation. And so a warrior is ready to engage in war. I never will forget, uh, Sue and I had our Josh and Ralph Martin and uh, his wife had a Josh, and those two were really good friends. As a matter of fact, we had a lady quit the nursery and told us that if we didn't do something with our two Joshuas, that uh, they were going to be uh, hellions when they got to be alive. And so I don't know about Josh Martin, but he was right. No, I'm telling you, he was. <laughs> you were waiting for that, weren't you? He did not turn out that way. But Josh Martin decided that he wanted to be a Marine. And so he, he joined the Marine Corps, and he became a warrior. And six months of the year, they'd train in the desert, and six months of the year, they'd train in the snow. And six months in the year, they'd go back to the desert, and six months, they'd train in the war, I mean, in the uh, snow. And so war broke out, and I can't remember how far back, whether it was Kuwait or or Desert Storm or one of those, but anyway, and they got word that they were going to be shipped out. And he called his daddy up and he said, Daddy, he said, I can't hardly wait. He said, we're going to be shipped out. And his daddy said, well, I don't know whether I like that or not. And he said, Daddy, what are you talking about? He said, this is what I have been training for for years. He said, I am a Marine grunt. And my job is to go in and kill the enemy. He said, and my unit is so excited that we can't hardly stand it we are so excited to go to war. We, we've been trained for it. We're ready for battle and we're ready to go. They go silent. They're not allowed to call home. Josh can't talk to his dad, can't do anything. Several weeks pass and he gets a phone call and it's Josh. Josh says, hey, Dad. He said, Josh, you okay? No. Why? He said, they diverted our ship. We're sitting off the coast of Japan. The war's going on over there, and we're sitting here on our butts doing nothing. And he said, I am not okay. I didn't train to come sit on my butt. I trained to go to war. It was interesting when he, when he came out of the military, uh, uh, a drill instructor talked to Ralph and he said, you better watch him for a little while. Take him about six months to adjust. And he said, why is that? He said, because the last four years we've been training him to kill people. Now he got out, he adjusted. Great life, never had any problem with it. But, but he, tra he trained to go to war. And he was excited about going to war. He realized that he could die. 
He had friends that had died in battle, but he was ready to go to war. Why? He'd been trained to engage the enemy. Christians, we need to engage the enemy. And if we're not trained, you get trained. You see, this is a voluntary army, and this is voluntary training, and you need to, you need to step up your game. If you don't know how, learn how. You don't know how to cast out a demon? Get with somebody that does. You don't know how to pray? Get with somebody that does. And they will forget. Daddy was upstairs praying, him and, him and Don Pye, a little 14-year-old girl, demon-possessed. And I think Daddy was probably 61, 62 years old at the time. And they calling this demon out, and they got six men. They can't hold this girl down. She's throwing six men around like rag dolls. But before that happened, they kept talking to her and talking to her and talking to her. And Daddy said, I had enough of this. I didn't come in here to talk to her. I came in here to cast out a demon. And so he went and got in his face and said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. That little girl reached up, grabbed him by, the, by his shirt, and threw him across the room. Daddy said he rolled across the room, hit the other wall. And Don Sy said, and when he hit the other wall, he come up on his feet like a ninja warrior and started running right back to her, saying, uh-uh, you got to come out. Oh, yeah, come on, give God praise. We got to run to the battle, not away from the battle. If they thought they were going to keep him out of there, they, and he practiced, hadn't you, Daddy? You'd been in enough bar fights before you got saved. <laughs> As old man, he's dead, amen. That was just, I'd like saying, sick him to a dog. Come on, this is, the battle is on. Let's go do this thing. And so we've been called to be these warriors. A warrior is a person specializing in combat or warfare, especially within the context of a, a tribal or clan-based warrior culture, society that, that recognizes a separate warrior class or case. I'm telling you, we are kingdom people. We are called to be warriors. All of us, all of us. Who's going to be following Jesus on that white horse? The armies of God. Who's going to be in that army? You know where the peacemaker is going to be. The peacemaker is the Antichrist spirit. And he's the one declaring peace. Jesus is declaring war. Now, taking that kind of in broad terms, and, but... Because he tells us about peace. But I'm just telling you, we need to hear. We need to know. And too many of us are ashamed of even sharing, aren't we? We don't want people to know we're going through stuff. I'm the preacher. I got it all together. Never had a problem in my life. Yes, right. Wear that, wear, wear that pride. Find out where that pride will get you. It'll destroy you. Warriors train. Warriors plan. Warriors attack. Warriors are ready to go. Last week while I was sitting up front, the Lord dropped in my spirit Goliath and Samson. I shared that with you, but I couldn't get it off my mind. Because that's kind of a strange combination. 
To me, those are two spiritually different anomalies in the Scripture. But the Lord said, I want you to understand Goliath, and I want you to understand Samson, and I want you to understand what happens in the midst of this. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about Goliath, but he does tell us a few things. And we realize that he was a massive man. Herman talked about how big he was. And, but not only was he a big man, he was a big man in the worship of Dagon. Anybody remember about Dagon, the fish god? You remember they brought the Ark of the Covenant in and Dagon fell over and they went back and they put him back. And the next day when they went to pick him up, he was on the ground busted to pieces. Now, one of the most interesting things that I found about this was Dagon, according to rabbinical tradition, is considered to be the father of Baal. Anybody know about Baal? Baal is complete idol worship. And so not only was Goliath a big man there, he was a big man in the, in the worship of, of, of Dagon and in bringing what he had in there. It's said that he is the very Philistine that went in and took the Ark of the Covenant out of Israel. Again, rabbinical rabbinical teachings. Don't know for 100% fact that's what it was. But he is the one that was said to have gone in there and taken it out. And in that same battle, you remember, uh, Phineas and Hophni, Eli's sons, were killed. And so he was a dreaded warrior. He was known for his fierceness. He was known for, for his, his might and his power. He was known for the fact that he wielded a big sword. And so Goliath was a big, big problem. And he loved talking smack to Israel. He loved going up there and he would call them every name in the book. He would try to goad them into battle. He would try to get them doing all this stuff. And he would just mock and mock and mock and mock and mock them. And so they just kept on. He just kept on mocking them. And 1 Samuel 17, 7 says, The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. In other words, he was holding a, he was holding a, a sword, and he was holding an axe, and he had a shield bearer that walked in front of him with a shield. So he's, he's ready for war. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Do you not understand that's what happens to us when we begin to see with our eyes exactly what's set before us rather than understanding in our hearts what God has promised us? We get afraid. Well, maybe my son or my daughter is never going to come out of that mess. Maybe, maybe... Maybe, maybe I'm going to go broke. Maybe, maybe things are going to get worse. Maybe, maybe. Goliath is saying, I got you. 
bunch of dogs. You serve Jesus. What good is it to serve Jesus? You and your little puny religion walks around in flowing gown and and, you know, and you just use it like a crutch because you can't deal with life. And so because you can't deal with life, that's him. That's Goliath. We look at some people's Goliath and we think, well, that's nothing. It's a Goliath to them. Don't minimize what's going on in somebody else's life. There are other Goliaths. We have societal Goliaths that are going on. And we look around and we decide there's nothing we can do about what's happening. And instead, they get louder and louder and louder and the pulpits of their propaganda get louder and louder and louder and louder. And what we try to do, we try to make friends with Goliath. Goliath is not interested in making friends with you. He's interested in cutting your feet out from underneath you and chopping your head off. Satan came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He didn't come to make friends with you. He's evil personified. He hates your guts because you are the children of the Most High God. You became what he couldn't be. Yeah, give God praise. Come on, give God praise. Quit making friends with Goliath. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. 1 Samuel 17, 23, as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine, this is David, when he talked with his brothers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. What is he saying? I defy the ranks of Israel. And David heard him, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and we're much afraid. There it is again. How many times do we get fearful over something? How many times do we get fearful over there's not going to be enough? How many times do we get fearful over, over the things? I like, Pat, what you said today. I had peace. Man, we pray till we get to peace. Fear can come on you like that. But the thing about it is, is you choose whether you want to wear fear or you want to wear faith. You choose whether you want to continue down that road or you want to go into the presence of God and stay in the presence of God until such time as you get disrobed out of that fear and you turn that stuff around and you begin to believe what God has said to you, and you stand on what God has said. The other thing I like what Pat said was it didn't matter what the doctor said. Good, bad, it didn't make any difference. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I will not bow the knee. If he comes to save us, fine. If he doesn't save us, it doesn't make any difference. I'm going in the fire, but I'm not bowing to you. And the fact, the truth is, and you all know this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved outside the fire. They were saved in the midst of the fire. Right in the middle of the fire. And so here this guy is. He's standing up there, this big guy. And, and listen, I'm sure he was an intimidating looking man. Nine feet tall. He would have looked down on Ernie. Nine feet tall. Every time I hear that, I think about him standing at, at, at the basketball goal. Shaq's a big, big guy. He's over seven feet tall, you know. And he could just about stand flat-footed and dunk. All Goliath would have had to done was just stand at the goal and they couldn't have everybody ever shot. 
He'd go to the other side, and all he had to do was just put it in. Nobody could have stopped him. I'm going, that is a big dude. You think about that 10-foot goal, and that's just a foot over his head. Can you imagine that guy walking around? No telling how much he weighed. Y'all don't think things like that? This guy was real. This guy was real, and, and, and he's out there, and he is mocking Israel. He is mocking Israel. I love this. Because he was mocking Israel, he was also mocking God. When the enemy mocks you, he is mocking Jesus Christ. Well, God got involved with David because because this Philistine was putting God down. Yeah, he was because he was putting Israel down. When the enemy puts you down, he's putting Jesus down. You hear what I'm saying? Look what he's saying. I defy the armies of Israel. You are the servants of Saul. You are nothing but dust. Y'all are so brave. Send out your champion. And yet, when David heard it, David heard you're defying the God of the armies of Israel. How do you hear it? How do you hear it? When the enemy comes against you, he's defying God. When they saw him, they fled. David, on the other hand, responded to the challenge. He went to Saul and volunteered to be the champion for Israel. Now, we don't know why all he volunteered. There was a promise of wealth. There was a promise of a woman. There was a promise of a place in the, in the courts of the king. And that did get his attention. And David did go, and he told Saul. And uh, it, it's amazing to me that Saul would have even let him fall on behalf of, of Israel. But he had everybody else was afraid. So he had to take a kid, a kid that had been tending sheep. And he asked him, he said, why do you think you do? He said, because he delivered, he said, God has delivered the lion and the bear into my hand, and he'll deliver Goliath. David wasn't dependent on his skill, and so Saul then turned around and put him in all the clothing of the king because it was the best-made armor. It was the best-made sword. It was the best-made shield. If he was going to have any chance, he would have more chance because it was more technologically advanced than any, uh, anybody else's armor in the kingdom. And so he gets ready to go, and he tries this stuff on. David said, whoa, uh-uh. I can't handle this. I've never tried this. Tell you what I know. I know, I know about a, a sling and a rock. I'll do something that's tried and true and something that I know. Let me tell you what David was saying. David said, I've been in, I've been in position with the lion and the bear, and I had to kill him. And I didn't have all this armor on, and I know what to do when I'm in the midst of the battle. How many of us know what to do when we're in the midst of the battle? And how many of us go to these preachers, and we listen to what these preachers are saying, and we try to put on the armor that the preacher's sailing about? And we try to do it, and we try to pray the exact correct prayer. Listen, I want you to know when you talk to God, He doesn't care. He understands your heart. He understands the language you speak. It's not a special formulated prayer. It's the heart of faith that goes before the Almighty God that releases the power of God, and He is the one that does the deliverance. You don't have to do it like anybody else except what you and God decide needs to be done. Come on, it's you and God. 
David's intention was to never take on Goliath in his own strength and power. His intention was always to take Goliath on in the power of Almighty God because it was God that was being defied. And he said, I know that God will deliver him into my hands. And so he goes and he tries this stuff on, but it won't work. And then the Philistines looked and saw David. And he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to play, play, come to me with sticks? You come out there, you got a slingshot? Look at me, boy. What are you just, you, you're putting me down, you're just making me mad. I'm a warrior, you're a kid. And not only a kid, but you're a kid with a slingshot. Is this a joke? Don't let them put you down. <laughs> David said, you think it's a joke? And the smack talk started. The Philistine said to David, come to me. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that God's that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Come on. We need to understand when we're engaging the enemy, it's not our battle. The battle is the Lord's. But we have to go towards the enemy. We cannot run away from him. We have to stand in that place and say, you can count on me. I'm not backing up. Not backing away. You're defying the God of Israel. I will defeat you, not through my strength and not through my power, not with man's weapons. I will defeat you. He, look what he says. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. If you will stand with the Lord, he will take your Goliath and he will put him in your hands. Come on, you just got to stand. How many of you declared victory this morning? That's what David did. David's looking his enemy in the face and he said, I'm going to declare my victory right here. And he said this. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. David, you ain't got a sword, son. How are you going to cut off a giant's head? And I'm going to feed your body and the body of the Philistines to the birds. Are you ready to go to war? And the Bible says, and David ran towards Goliath. He ran towards Goliath. And with a single stone, a single weapon of God, he hit him right between the eyes and killed him, took his own sword and cut off his head. I know you know the story, but I want you to understand it applies on our lives. This is the cool thing, and I'm just going to—I'll just share this with you. You can go back and read it. 
I knew where the sword went. Because later on in the story of David, David and his men are hungry and he goes to the, to the tabernacle and he says, do you have any bread? And they gave him showbread. And he said, do you have any weapons? And he said, we have the sword of Goliath. So think about what he said. The very weapon that he had, he had beheaded his enemy with, he carried to the temple and he offered it to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But what, what a lot of people don't understand is that the scripture goes on to say that he took the armor of Goliath and he took it to the tent. A lot of people think he took it to his own tent. That's not what it says. It says he took it to the tent. He took the armor of Goliath and the weapons of Goliath and he presented them before God because it was God's victory. The battle wasn't David's. The battle was the Lord's. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.